This podcast is brought to you by Blackbee Ministries International. To find out more, visit blackbee.org. Welcome back to the Richard Blackaby Leadership Podcast. My name is Sam and I'm your host and we are here to help take your leadership to the next level. And on today's episode, Richard sits down with a good friend of his and actually his literary agent. Robert Rolgamuth has been in the publishing business for over 40 years. His credits include executive positions in the magazine and book industries in Illinois and Texas, the presidency of a large Nashville, Tennessee book publisher, and the co-founder, along with Michael Hyatt, of a publishing company and literary representative agency. Robert is a best-selling author with more than one million copies sold. His newest book, Gun Lap, Staying in the Race with Purpose, is available now. And he and Richard will talk about that on today's show. He has also written several books with his wife, Nancy DeMoss Wolgamuth. Five of his books have received silver medallion awards from the Evangelical Christian Publishers Association. And as always, we'll leave a link in the show notes to his latest book, Gun Lap, uh, which is the topic of conversation uh, in today's podcast. And with that, I'll turn it over to Richard. Well, as you know, uh, now and then I have a special guest with me on this podcast, and uh, I've just been blessed by meeting some wonderful people, Christian leaders and thinkers, writers, influencers over the years. And uh, today's guest is certainly one of those, a special friend to me. Uh, his name is Robert Wolgamuth, and uh, not only is he a, a, an excellent author and influencer himself, but he's also my literary agent as well, as well as my father's literary agent. And uh, we'll probably be doing a podcast on that just to talk about uh, the whole literary side of things. But, um, but Robert has written a wonderful brand new book that I want to unpack today. And uh, so, Robert, uh, first of all, just welcome all the way from Michigan here today. Yeah, thank you, Richard. It's great to hear your voice. And for those of us who are just listening... To actually see your face. So, yeah, thank you. It's <laughs> and an I, honor to be on your podcast. And and for those who you won't be able to see this, but Robert is sitting out on his deck on a beautiful Michigan uh, afternoon. But uh, he wouldn't be doing this if we were interviewing him in January, I can assure you. <laughs> so. You're rubbing it in, man. You're rubbing it in. But that's true. I am on my deck. A deck I actually built, built for Nancy wow. the year after we got married. That's so here a, I am. That, I'm impressed. And uh, yeah. if you don't know, Robert lived for a number of years in Orlando and so moved to Michigan uh, to get married. And we'll, we'll, we'll unpack that here a little bit. But, but Robert wrote a great book called uh, uh, the, the Gun Lap. And uh, I, to be honest with you, I didn't know what a gun lap was until I read this book. Um, and it says that the subtitle is Staying in the Race with Purpose. And uh, and so I want us to unpack that. But Robert, first of all, just, I, I've, I mentioned a little bit about you, but tell us your story. Just Can you, can you give us a nutshell of who is Robert Wolgamuth, the, the man, the sure. myth, and the legend? <laughs> <laughs> is this fiction or nonfiction? <laughs> well, we'll have to edit so, it afterward, yeah. Yeah, there you go. Well, I have you and I have something really wonderful in common. We had amazing fathers. Mm -hmm. You still have your father. Mm -hmm. You never knew my daddy, but my daddy was a missionary and a pastor. So I was born in South Central Pennsylvania. He was the pastor of a church, uh, a Brethren in Christ Church. I know you know that denomination from your years in Canada, especially. And then we went to the mission field when I was five years old, spent two and a half years there. It was a special assignment for Youth for Christ. Then when he came back, we came back, we, we moved to Wheaton, Illinois, and my dad eventually became the president of Youth for Christ. So I was a PK like you and an MK like you. Uh, I have five siblings. We're all very close, continue to be. My, my daddy stepped into heaven uh, in uh, 01. 
then my mother stepped into heaven in 10. So like you, I'm an orphan, but grateful hmm. for the Lord's kindness in sending me parents like that. Hmm. I mean, I, I'd have to be a real jerk to mess up after having parents <laughs> like that. So um, I graduated from Taylor University in uh, 1969, went into ministry, spent some time in Youth for Christ, working with high school kids, and then got involved in the publishing world. So I've been in book publishing for almost 40 years, first as a marketing director for a company, and then as the president of Thomas Nelson Publishers in Nashville, which got me to move to Nashville, which was a wonderful city to live uh, to live in and to raise my two daughters. Uh, and then uh, in 2014, my precious wife of almost 45 years stepped into heaven after a bout with stage four ovarian cancer. And, uh, and of course, losing your wife is like nothing you've ever experienced. And I talk about this a bit in the book. But before she died, she told two friends, she said, I want Robert to remarry when I die. And they said, we've heard you say that so many times. She said, but yeah, there's a wrinkle to it. I want Robert to marry Nancy Lee DeMoss. Nancy has a ministry called Revive Our Hearts. She lives in, in Southwest Michigan. And uh, she didn't, Bobby didn't tell me anything about that. So I had known Nancy. I had been her literary agent in the early 2000s. And she was 57, never married. So um, just thinking about the possibility of remarrying, I thought, you know what? I'm going to reach out to Nancy again, not because Bobby said anything about her, just because I thought that would be a good idea. So as it turned out, two months after Nancy and I were dating, those two friends contacted me and said, there's something you need to know. This mm. is exactly what Bobby wanted you to do. Mm. So actually, because I'm a man and can be sort of competitive, <laughs> I'm kind of glad that I didn't know before I started to date Nancy. Oh. That would have felt like an assignment. <laughs> but because I was already in love with this lady, it felt like a confirmation, the Lord's confirmation mm. that this was the right thing to do. So we've been married for five and a half years and we say to each other all the time you are exactly what i needed hmm. so imagine 57 years old never married uh because she's in southwest michigan she has a studio to do her broadcasting and recording here didn't make any sense for her to move to orlando so i moved to michigan and uh and I'm thrilled. I grew up in Chicago, so the weather is not a, important. You're a Canadian. <laughs> it doesn't really matter what the weather is as long as you're where the Lord wants you to be, right? Yeah, it just gets harder as you get older, that's all. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. And you hire people to shovel the <laughs> yeah, that's snow. Right. That's a big part of it, <laughs> exactly. So um, uh, I've mentioned getting into the book business. I've been in the book business for almost 40 years, first as the president of Thomas Nelson. Then a guy named Michael Hyatt and I started a publishing company in 92, um, and then we became literary agents when you, when we sold that company. And then I bought the business from him in 98. So I have a firm that represents authors. Uh, I have about 225 clients that I do all their contract work, all the negotiation with publishers. When I tell people that Richard, they light up because everybody has a grandmother who writes great poetry. <laughs> he just has to be published. And I'm just for the sake of your friends who are listening to this podcast, I'm not interested in your mother, in your grandmother's poetry <laughs> and probably not your mother's poetry either, but this has given us a chance. And, and Richard, you're a client, as you mentioned, and you can't imagine the joy of taking the written work 
of people you know and trust and helping it to see the light of day and be distributed around the world. And that's what I'm able to do with your work. So, I mean, this is, this is a thrill. Actually, I did this with Michael Hyatt and bought it from him in 98. And then seven years later, hired my two nephews uh, to come work for me. And they've been with me for 16 years. You know, Andrew, mm -hmm. Andrew does a great job. Yeah. We hired another guy, uh, Austin Wilson, a few years later. So it's the four of us, and we are as busy as we want to be. Huh. Uh, it's it's incredibly thrilling to have these young men. In fact, they talk about them in the book, because one of the chapters is on mentoring. When you get to your gun lap, which I'll describe in a minute, uh, mentoring is a big deal. Yeah. And so I've had the joy of mentoring these young men. Well, uh, Robert, tell me, we we want to get into your book here. It's uh, I've just finished reading it. You uh, you uh, gifted that to me, and uh, it, 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 uh, it was so impactful. I thought, we just got to get you on the air and uh, share these insights with our listeners. And, and so tell us, uh, tell us what, what you mean by a gun lab. <laughs> okay. Uh, let me quickly take you back to my college years. I went to Taylor university. My family is a big Taylor university family. Um, and it's out in the sticks. If you've ever been to Taylor, you know that if you're looking for big city life, you have to drive to Indianapolis or Fort Wayne. You don't have any in Upland, Indiana, but at the end of the day, it was a wonderful experience. And, so when I'm a senior at Taylor and coming in, let's say, really late, sometimes early in the morning from whatever seniors in college do, we would see this young man running in, in, on these country roads by himself in the, in the early morning darkness. So I did a little research and found that it's a young man named Ralph Foote. He's from north central Indiana. I think he grew up on a farm and decided that he's a runner. And so he was a runner and he'd run in the early morning hours with nobody cheering, nobody watching just for the discipline of running. Well, now take me to uh, the conference track meet. I had finished my, my classes at Taylor, was getting ready for graduation ceremonies. And the, and the athletic director asked me to help um, uh, do some officiating for the, uh, the conference track meet that Taylor was hosting that year. So I said, sure, that sounds like fun. So now, I'm going to take you to the tower at Taylor, the press tower. I'm standing on the tower and I'm watching the two mile. It's a quarter mile track. So it's eight times around that track. So at the beginning of the race, all these young men are gathered at the starting line and the starter raises his hand and fires the gun and the race is on. So they go round and round the track. And I tell this story in great detail because it's a story that still takes my breath away. The eighth lap begins with the starter firing the gun again. What that means is the guy that's leading this race has one more lap to go. And it happened to be Ralph Foote. And by the end, by, by the time he, he crossed the finish line, broke the tape, he had knocked 11 seconds off the conference track uh, record in the two mile. 11 seconds. I mean, yeah. that's, that's a lot. Yeah. And actually, the next year, he knocked, I think, nine seconds off the same record. So this, I tell this, that story, and then I talk about running the last lap of your life. Hmm. Now, some people have mistakenly thought that I'm talking about death. You know, finish line, dying, you're getting ready. Not at all. This is a book about living and running your last lap well. And it, you know, let's, let's say that you're 55 years old. You know, 55 years old, usually you get the AARP mailing, right? <laughs> and you're yeah, and you're officially an old guy. Well, it, that'd be a great, I mean, 
for the 55th birthday that this book would be a great gift. But even leading up to that, you know, don't wait until you're hungry to pack your lunch. Get it done in advance. Mm-hmm. So I would encourage guys in their late 40s or even 50 years old to, to read this book or somebody in your life, your wife, your son, whatever, to buy it for you. Because this book is intended to be an encouragement. Why? Because when you and I are our age and we're hitting this gun lap, it's very, very easy to get discouraged. Yeah. Well, fact, you, I, oh, I'd say, Rod, you know, the interesting thing about that, and, you know, I, I love that that illustration you used and with foot. And the thing that's, I think, um, significant about that is that he actually probably ran his fastest rounds on the last one. I mean, he probably, I mean, he kicked it into another gear that the other guys didn't have. And, and so instead of slowing down and coasting, he actually went up another notch and as if all of his training, all of his running to that point was all preparation for the grand finale. And I, that I, is exactly right. That's exactly right. In fact, amazing as it sounds, I didn't meet Ralph foot until I was recording the podcast for this book. Hmm. So it's been, I've been out of college for 53 years. So Hmm. I hadn't met him. So I got a chance to thank him in person. He lives in Indiana. He didn't have very far to go. So, and you're exactly right. His final lap, if you can imagine, his eighth lap was his fastest lap, which just blows my mind, takes my breath away. So you're right. And I, I, you know, I'm in a, I I just hit a a, a big milestone, entered a new decade. and, uh, And I thought to myself, you know, I I still have I'm not uh, physically as strong as I was then, but I but in many ways I you know I'm I'm not totally declined yet either, and I've got uh, I still have the, the the physical ability to travel to do stuff, and uh, but I but I've read more, I know more, I know more people, I've had more experiences, and in many ways. This stage of, uh, you know, my gun lap, I'm certainly in that now, uh, ought to be my most productive, my most fruitful. It, it, I might not yeah. be able to put in even as long of hours, but, uh, but they're, they're smarter hours, and they ought to be more effective ones. And so I love the idea of a gun lap. Uh, there's, there's a bunch of our listeners, I think, that uh, have been at it for a while. You're not old yet. You're not ready to, like, be put into, a re- you know, a, a nursing home. Um, but you, you know, you've got a lot of your, you know, good years behind you. And now you're saying, how do I finish out this race? Well, um, as I'm getting around that last, uh, or a couple of the last laps even. Yeah. And so you're, so tell me in our listeners, what are you trying to protect people from? Like if they, if they somehow didn't read this book and they, they weren't given the warning and the, the help, what, what might a bad gun lap look like for some men? Yeah. Well, I've heard from some of those men. Uh, In fact, I had a phone call that absolutely took my breath away. And this is now four weeks ago. Um, As I mentioned, I've been in a certain business in an industry for 40 years and have a friend that goes back almost all 40 of those years. And I hadn't heard from him for a while. So I just reached out and called him and he answered the phone and I I knew it was him, but his voice sounded so down, Richard. It was like, Mm. and I said, are you okay? He said, because I knew that he had retired from his work. I said, are you okay? He said, well, no. So talk talk about that. He said, this morning I woke up. He said, I laid there in bed. And he said to myself, I wish I were dead. Hmm. Now, he's he's faced some physical challenges, which comes with the territory. 
fact, the, ins the inspiration for starting to write this book was I was diagnosed with two different cancers during 2020. Hmm. And, and you do begin to face your mortality. So I'm thinking, okay, so what if this is my last lap? What am I going to do? So I, I, I decided on that call with my friend, I'm going to reach out to him as often as I can. I send him Bible verses. I call when I can. I text him when I can. Because it is really easy to feel alone. So mm -hmm. like back in your prime, so you're the president of a seminary in, in Canada. Let's just make up a scenario. And your inbox is full. And I know about Richard Blackaby's inbox. <laughs> I have some inside information about that. And so, so okay, so you and I get frustrated when, my, when our inbox gets full and our phone is ringing off the hook and our secretary standing in our doorway saying, you know, you've got an appointment. 15 minutes ago and all that pressure, but then it goes away mm -hmm. and you realize how much of your identity was wrapped up in that activity in, and, and fruitful activity, mm -hmm. the busyness, the, the responsibilities, the, uh, the, the pressure that came with a lot of that kind of work, people answering to you, uh, sitting down and building strategic plans. Now you got none of that. Mm. And if, if who you are, is wrapped up in that stuff when you retire it's going to be a hard season and yep. this is intended this book is intended to say okay with these years that i have in fact you mentioned the word retirement you know so well you know better than me that that word doesn't appear in the scripture at all yeah you know you got caleb at 85 right yeah <laughs> who's 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 leading give me, give me the mountain <laughs> give me that mountain so and and we live in in our Western civilization. Retirement is a deal, you know. In in fact, some case in some cases, you're forced to retire when you turn a certain age. And so now we have these encampments all over America, where people who are like you and me, we got plenty of mileage left on our tires, Richard. Mm -hmm. But we're playing shuffleboard and square dancing, <laughs> and 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 there's. There's more to do. That's what I want to yeah. say to well, you and to our listeners. Well, and that's what I've seen. You, you see a bunch of these guys who were CEOs of major companies, problem solvers, world travelers, and they, right. but now they've got enough money and so they retire and you got, they've never been more gifted, more wise, uh, more insightful, and they're, uh, they're out of the game. And you look at the world around us and say, this is not a time for people like you to be checking out. That's when we need people like you. Uh, well, Rob, you, you say a number of things in this book that I thought were really helpful. One of the things, maybe just to touch on for a moment, is I thought was really interesting was just the idea, and, you, and you're quite candid about your, your two grandfathers and uh, your dad and just the stuff that was passed on to you, both good and bad, um, yeah. you know, which we all have that. Uh, I have that. Uh, even when you've got great and godly parents, they still have stuff that, that they, they have blind spots, uh, stuff that maybe got passed down to them from their parents. And, uh, and you have the interesting analogy of, of culling. And uh, you talk about yeah. going and picking out boards, but, but, but describe what you mean by, by culling. You know, we're not, we're not just uh, destined uh, inescapably to have to just exactly. care, have all the same mistakes our dad or granddad had. Um, how, do you, how do you cull through the stuff that gets passed down to you from your ancestors? Yeah, thank you. I love construction. I'm sitting on a deck that I built after my first year of marriage to Nancy. It's a thousand square feet, and it's shaped like a grand piano. I'm not kidding. 
she graduated from college with her degree in piano performance. And I've got a little bronze plaque, and this is called Nancy's Grand Piano Deck. <laughs> so I love construction. I can't do as much as I used to be able to because I'm 73 years old. But I talk about going to the Home Depot or Lowe's or wherever, and you, I always get permission for this because the guy, the clerk hates it. He doesn't want people doing this, but I get permission. So I push the little cart down the aisle in front of the lumber that I want, whether it's two by fours or two by sixes or two by tens or two by twelves. <laughs> and and I I pull them off the, the rack one at a time and I look down the edge. And I, I look to see if it's whipped or crowned or bowed. And if it is, I put it back on my cart and I keep looking till I find straight boards. The analogy is, okay, I have, I had a dad and I didn't have any choice in that matter. You know, I woke up and there he was. <laughs> I had two paternal, I had a paternal grandfather and a maternal grandfather who were very different from each other. And I didn't really realize this as a kid, but in, in, in examining their lives, these three men, grandfathers and father, I saw their lives. I, I watched their foibles and idiosyncrasies and talents and skills and gifts. And so I've made a conscious effort early in my life to call, that's the word, C-U-L-L, to call the boards and say, you know what? I like this about this grandfather. And I put that board on my card. And I like this about my father. And I put that board on my card. But I'm not crazy about this. I watched this. I saw the frustration that it leads to, the lack of discipline, whatever. And I'm going to put that bent, that 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 crooked board back on the stack. Hmm. Now, I've, I've actually talked to people who are in that business, and they say, so thanks a lot. So I'm supposed <laughs> to have only crooked boards on my stack. Well, I'm sorry. That's your problem, not mine. <laughs> so every man who's listening to us right now can identify with this. And I even have a man who helped me with a chapter who said, you know what? I had no father or grandfather to even care about. So he said, my fathers were G.K. Chesterton. My grandfathers were C.S. Lewis. He said, I went to the library and I, dis and, and I picked grandfathers and fathers, men whose lives I wanted to emulate. And also things about certain men in history that I decided I don't want to be like that. So you don't have to have a biological father or grandfather to understand this metaphor. So what, what I do in the book is I actually list, as you suggested, I list the boards from those three men that I put on my cart. So actually at my age, 73, I mean, they were younger than me when I remember them. And, and, and I, I, it actually makes me smile because I, I see certain things about myself eccentricities especially, huh. but habits that are in my DNA. And I'm thrilled that the Lord has given me a chance to embrace those things that were Christ-like. You know, you and I, mm -hmm. as you as you suggested, we, we woke up to an amazing gift. We didn't realize it really because it's all we knew. But giving us godly grandfathers and godly fathers is the greatest gift we could have possibly received back then. Yeah, and so I, again, know, I want to, I want to encourage guys who don't have that. You can find them. Yeah, but that you do have men who influence you, and the best thing you can do is identify those things, and put the boards back that you don't want to emulate. Yeah, you know, and it's funny. I, I think as you get older, it's it's, it's you, you wouldn't think it this way, but I, even with my dad, 
it's interesting as my dad gets older now he's in his 80s um my mom will say you know as he gets older he's becoming more and more like his father and and you think wow. and and uh and it's almost like your defenses go down you know you may yeah. have worked against it for years not to be quite like him but but it's almost as you get older you just you sort of default back in and uh and that's not always good you know and so i think uh, you, you, when you get to that gun lap, you need to be kind of paying attention. But but That's something right. else that you said, and I want to just make sure we get to that. And, and you talk about, uh, I think one of the, the greatest tragedies in a gun lap is perhaps you've you've been successful in business, you've you've built your career, but then one day you realize your marriage is the pits, and you're married to someone that you're not, not even sure she loves you, and and you you've, you're well into it now. You've got decades with this person, and 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 now you realize, well, if I retire, I'm stuck. You know, we're stuck in the same house with each other, and uh, it, she she kind of enjoyed me going to work and not being around all day, but now we're together, and. Uh, this gun lap may not be all that much fun, um, but you have some good uh, comments about even even when you're older, and even when you're in the, your gun lap, it's it's never too late uh, to change some habits in the way you treat your wife. And I I love the especially just the, the the point where you make about just responding with kindness. And I think most guys will identify when our wife says something that you know it's easy to have kind of a sarcastic a little rebuttal, a little comment. Uh, you know, here we are out in the, the world dealing with stuff all day. And then our wife says something that anyone at work said that and we'd slam them. And sometimes we do that with our wife and to say, yeah. and, and you can get some really bad habits uh, where you just sort of shut down your, your wife. But then you say in the gun lab, uh, it's not too late to just make some choices about changing some of that. Well, I'll tell you what, you're the preacher and I'm turning the pages because you're exactly right. <laughs> uh, one of the men that I interviewed and I'm, I'm happy to, to disclose that it was, that's my brother, my oldest brother, who I had the chance to interview. And what I wanted him to talk about was when the CEO of a company on which he served as the board discovered how old he was, she fired him. Hmm. Wow. And so I called Sam, my brother, uh, your son-in-law's name. <laughs> I called Sam and said, Tell me that story. I want to put this in the book. So he told me this story, and he said, can I make a suggestion on your book? And I said, sure. And he said, you have to talk about marriage. And I'll tell you, Richard, uh, full confession, I did not have marriage on my original outline. Hmm. But that conversation changed that. Hmm. And, in fact, I, I had the opportunity to talk to other gun lappers about marriage, and I tell the story in the book about a guy who was probably in his 50s, went to a marriage retreat that his church was sponsoring, he and his wife, and he thought, you know, that's a good idea. It'll help the, the wife, you know, whatever, to, to, to know that I'm interested in our marriage. So he said, I went to that retreat, and if somebody had said to me, all right, on a scale of 1 to 10, what do you think your marriage would get? He said, I, I, I would have said 8. So now he's in this retreat, and the leader and if you're listening to this podcast and you've ever done this to people, shame on you because it's, it's hard. So he said, I want you to look at your spouse, take her by the hands, look her in the eye and tell her, I love you. So my buddy, Dave, looked into his wife's eyes and said, I love you. And she stared back at his face and she said, I don't love you. Hmm. Here's a guy, four kids. They're all out of the home. 
he's a he's a very well respected professional in my area and and if somebody tries to figure out who it is he wouldn't care because he tells people this story mm-hmm. and what he did richard at that moment he said i thought i could go to the go to a lawyer get a divorce lots of guys do but he said i found a friend who was 10 years older than me whose marriage i thought was strong he said i need your help and i need it now and for the next years this guy sat under the mentorship of an older uh, Christian guy who said, here's how you fix your marriage. And I tell you, and, and Dave, when he's telling me this story, he said, you can't believe how amazing my marriage is. Hmm. Now my wife would say it's an eight back then. She'd said it's a zero. So don't forget. You're right. The good chance is that your wife will, will be your caregiver when you, when your health fails. She'll be standing next to your casket. Actuarial tables say that. So why wouldn't you take care of this precious person the Lord gave you a long time ago? Yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, I think you make a good point that um, I, I think what I find, and I think I, I was saying to my wife, after I read your book, I was saying to my wife, you know, I love my maternal grandparents. I knew them uh, fairly late into my life, and I loved them. They're, they're missionaries. They're great people. But as they got older, they would bicker, you know, and uh, and they just bicker, and they it wasn't anything serious, but they just bickered all the time, and you just and I remember my wife and I uh, saying we, we don't want to ever become like your grandparents, you know, and but when you listen to what they bickered about, of course, it was all such insignificant, trivial things, uh, you know, it was, and you just thought to yourself that that doesn't need to be, uh, you don't need to have a fight about that, like you don't need to argue about that. Um, and I think part of you, you make some good comments about just deciding what matters and what doesn't matter and uh, just choosing to value that person that you're going to be running those final laps with together. Absolutely. That's right. Uh, it's, and you said it uh, in business, you might say something to a colleague or to subordinate that you'd never say to your wife, but you find yourself getting sloppy yeah. and being rude when you know you shouldn't be. And overlooking kindnesses, you know, yeah, the, uh, you know, Titus 2 gives you all you need to know about being a man of God. Yeah. And that's what I talk about. Yeah. Well, Robert, I knew that our time would race by us here. We haven't even begun to get into a bunch of the other topics. Um, you do talk some about just declining health. I, uh, I, I had to go to a doctor this morning to talk about my sore knee that starts to get inflamed now whenever I go running. And, uh, trying to find out if there's any way to be able to keep exercising uh, and endure the pain. Uh, and just talking about, you know, as you get older, there's there are those things that remind you uh, that you are getting older. You can't, you don't have That's the strength. Right. I let I let my son-in-law lift the heavy stuff around here now instead of me. Uh, I used to be the, the, the brute, you know, that could lift anything. Uh, and, and so you're reminded physically of some limitations that are growing. But at the same time, this really ought to be, in many ways, the most fruitful, most productive season of our life. Uh, if, yeah. if we're doing it wisely and we've been preparing for it uh, years in advance. Yeah, I love that. Um, I, Isaiah 40 talks about soaring like eagles, running and not being weary, walking and not faint. Mm-hmm. That's the snapshot of what you're describing right now. We used to soar. Maybe we can still run. I can't believe you still run, just <laughs> as a sidebar. And then walking, there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with that. So, um, you know, the Apostle Paul 
Second Corinthians talks about our bodies wasting away. And that's absolutely the truth. So we have lots to be grateful for. And uh, this is an opportunity to, to recommit ourselves to these final strides that would, would honor the Lord, honor the people that are important to us, and serve uh, kingdom purposes. There's plenty, there's plenty of work to do and plenty that we can do yeah. during these years. Well, I, and I agree. And I think, you know, even as some of the, some of the things maybe we can't do like we used to do, don't, don't waste time wringing your hands, feeling sorry for yourself because you can't do that. Cause there's still lots of important work to be done. Find yep. what can be done and that you can do and get after it and uh, finish that last uh, round of the track, running all out, holding nothing back. Yes. Uh, and uh, a lot, lot more we could say about that. But uh, thank you, Robert. And we'll, we'll list uh, the, the information on this book. I'm assuming you can get it at Amazon. You can get everything there. Yes, you can. And, yeah. uh, <laughs> you're, uh, we'll get... That's right. You can, get, you can get toilet paper and a copy of Gun Lab. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, maybe leave it there. And, uh, yes. But we'll... Um, <laughs> But uh, we'll, and I just want to encourage you, if you're not familiar with Robert Wolgabooth, you need to see, he's, he's written a lot of great books. Uh, he has two daughters and he's written some great stuff on that, how to be a father to daughters and uh, on marriage and just some great uh, books in that regard. I know that Focus on the Family has made use of you a number of times. And uh, so lots that, a lot of resources there. But uh, thank you, Robert, for spending this time with us and uh, encourage our listeners uh, whether it's, I don't think you're ever too young uh, to, to start thinking about that gun lap and being prepared so you, you run it well when your time comes. Thank you, Richard. It's an honor to speak to you, and I'm grateful for you. I love you, my friend. Thank you, Robert. Thanks for listening to the podcast. If this is something you enjoyed, it really makes a difference if you leave a review and a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Don't forget to subscribe and share with your friends. We always love hearing from our listeners, so email us at podcast at blackme.org.